Sometimes I'm tempted to give tests uh, at church at, when we come and gather for Mass, and, and the test usually would be some variation of what was last week's Gospel passage, or uh, even more dangerous is what did I preach on. The uh, last week, if you remember, though, we had the Sadducees and the Herodians, two separate groups, uh, very uh, philosophically opposed to each other, coming to Jesus to trap him and saying, asking, is it lawful to pay the census tax to Rome or not? No matter how Jesus would have answered it, um, with a yes-no anyway, uh, he would have been trapped by one of the two groups. And Jesus cuts through the middle and says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. So the Sadducees are quite uh, dismayed because they didn't trap him. Uh, they have nothing to, uh, nothing to counter with because that makes sense. And so they are silenced. They have nothing uh, with that particular trap, nothing more to offer. And they have to regroup and so today, this, uh, as we pick up, this follows, of course, on the heels. And it's not that the Pharisees are necessarily seeking to trap Jesus. There is a sincerity about the question. And some have suggested, and I think there is some uh, merit to thinking about it, that maybe the Pharisees and Jesus got along a little bit better philosophically than we think they did. So often we think they're opposed to each other, and yeah, they would have been not, not exactly uh, on the same page, but they would have seen more eye to eye. The Pharisees, after all, sought to teach the people, to be with the people, to help them to understand the, the law, what was necessary to live, how, uh, how to live a moral life. And of course, doesn't Jesus do that plus? Of course, it's the plus that, uh, no pun intended, is the cross that marks Jesus' ministry most especially. So they come to Jesus with this particular question, and we might say, well, that's an obvious answer. Come on, give us a hard one. But we have 2,000 years of reflection on it, and Jesus answering the question helps us, of course, have the answer. And we see love crucified. That Jesus Christ shows us love, but at the time there was a a good debate, and, and there was merit to all the answers. Which of the commandments is the most important? Maybe you know this, the first commandment was go forth and multiply. Which which of the commandments was most important? Was it that one? After all, if we don't have children, we're not going to have much of a society left. You only have to look to places like China to see that the negative growth rate is going to affect them quite heavily in in the not so distant future. Which of the commandments is the greatest? Is it, as we hear, love of God? Is it have no false gods before him? Is it uh, don't boil a kid in his mother's milk? Is it avoid shellfish? Do not eat pork? Is it some vague temple law? After all, there's 613 different laws given in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. 613, some have said, pointed out, there's 600, or 365 naked ones, thou shalt not, one for every day of the year, and there's 200 and whatever it end, ends up being, 213 or whatever, uh, positive laws, thou shalt, the easiest, from the, the one that most of us have memorized, that's a positive, 
is honor your father and your mother. That, uh, that number, some scholars, uh, Jewish scholars, have said uh, equals the number of bones and organs in the human body. So which one of all of these, one for every day of the year and one for every organ and, and uh, uh, bone in our body, which one is the most important? And Jesus answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And even because we have 2,000 years, we forget the radicalness of this. And the Jews who were standing next to Jesus, the scholars and the Pharisees who were, who were listening, would have gone, of course. Not for the same reason we do, because we already have the answer. But because it was part of a prayer that they would pray almost every day. In fact, as often as we pray the Our Father, and as important as the Our Father is to us, this particular prayer, this, uh, it ends with this, is as important to the Jewish people. It's the Shema. O hear, O Israel, the Lord God is the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with your mind. It was a reminder that God is God, we are not, and that we are to love him. So they would have said, of course, that makes sense. But like so many things, we might ask the question, what is love? We live in a world that tells us love is all sorts of things. We can say in one moment, I love chocolate, and the other moment, well, I don't, but you who are married can say, I love my spouse. You could say, I love my children, or I love my cat. Or, even worse, perhaps, we talk about the particular adult act of love. What is love? If all those are love, what is love? Is that that kind of love that Jesus is talking about, this warm, fuzzy feeling? An emotion? A stirring in the heart? You who are married, you know, the, the fact that you look at your spouse and your heart uh, starts to beat a little faster? Is that what love is? That's part of love, but that's not the fullness of love. And of course, that's not the kind of love Jesus is talking about today in this gospel passage, either of the love of God or the love of neighbor. Rather, that's, this kind of love is an act of the will. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's how do we give the other person what they need. We put the other person first. We put their needs first. This is love. Well, how do we love God then? After all, God is perfect. God is complete. We can't do anything to add to God's greatness. We can't do anything to add to his might. We can't do anything to add to his power. How can we love God? if it means putting him first. Well, it's our worship. Again, God has no need of our worship, but when we love him by our worship, we show him that we understand that he is most important. And when we begin to love him with that, we find it easy to love with our heart, mind, and soul, with every being, every ounce of our being, every bone in our body, every organ, every day of our life. Maybe it's fitting that 613 
equals that days and organs and bones put together. But how do we love? Well, St. John tells us we love because God first loved us. We cannot love without knowing that God loved us. And how do we know that God loved us, loves us? Well, the fact that we exist, the fact that we are here, God continues to show his love of us in the very fact that we have breath. It's that simple. It begins with that. And then once we understand that everything we have, everything we are, is God's gift to us, everything that that we are, every single thing is God's love of us, how can we not return with all our heart, mind, and soul? We love because God first loved us. But then when we allow that love to dwell in us and we allow our love to return to the Lord, all of a sudden we see something more is necessary, which is why the second commandment is important too. When we recognize that everything around us is God's gift to us, we begin to see that even our neighbors is God's gift to us that we need to love them, too. And if we're honest, sometimes it's easy. And if we're really honest, sometimes it's very difficult. But we should take comfort in the fact that God loves us no matter what. Sometimes we're difficult. Sometimes we do this little thing we call sin. And so who are we to say, I'm not going to love my neighbor because they're in a life of sin? Or who am I to say that I cannot love my neighbor because they might, might make other choices than I do? Who am I that if they, if they are caught in a life of sin, this doesn't mean we glorify their sin. This doesn't mean we condone their sin. In fact, love means more. Love means correcting. The closer we are to the person, the more important it is that we try to correct them to help and we better make sure, as Jesus says, you know, make sure we have the uh, log out, out of our own eye before we remove the speck in our brother's eye. Sometimes we think that love means, well, we allow them to do what they want to do. And that's not love. It's something else, but it's not love. Love also does not mean that we control them. We can't command This is the beauty of it, back to the love of God, that we know that God doesn't force us to love him. I get a little perturbed every once in a while when I hear that God is going to save us all and we're all going to heaven. It doesn't matter what we do in life. That isn't love. If God forces us to love him for all eternity, which is what heaven is, that's not love. That's creepiness. That's weird. Love needs to be free. And so when we love our neighbor, we freely love them. No strings attached. But we also call them to change if they need to change. And hopefully they call us to change when we need to change. Sometimes we're fearful. We think that that's going to hurt. Here's a little secret. Hurt is an evil all the time. Harm is, but hurt is not always bad. If we do do hurt, if we correct somebody and it hurts them, 
But we've done it in love. We've done it as gently as we can, as lovingly as we can. There's a beauty there. Consider a surgeon with a scalpel will remove the cancer. He's caused, she's caused hurt. You're going to hurt for a while if you've had a tumor removed. Was he hurt intended? No. Fixing what was broken was. Did the, did the surgeon do harm? Hopefully not. Hopefully they took care of to not, not to nick any of the vessels around that tumor or whatever it is. We have to remember when we love, sometimes it hurts, but it always is done in love. It's always a choice. It's not always easy to love, is it? This is where everything comes. Some have said, well, Jesus, this commandment to love, that's too easy. There's got to be something more. Well, maybe this week, pay attention to the people that we find it most difficult to love and really ask God for the ability to love them. And it might even start out, especially the more uh, difficult they are to love, it might start out, Lord, help me to see in them what you see in them. It might be, you know, again, if it's really a harsh relationship, it might be as simple as the fact that they exist is enough to let me know that you love them, to help me to appreciate their existence. Sounds rather petty, doesn't it? Rather small. But I guarantee if we really can pray that prayer, again, the more difficult we find that person the more difficult that prayer might be. But if we really pray that prayer, we will begin to love them. We will begin to choose their best, even if it hurts us, knowing that sometimes that hurt is what God uses to drive us to deeper conversion, too. We are called to love God and to love our neighbor. We are called to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, We're called to love our neighbor as ourself. To love our neighbor because our very good is wrapped up in their good. And when we choose their good, it is an act of worship to God.